Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either-or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Thanks for joining me today for another great discussion around nutrition and health without compromise. Today, I'm joined by the best-selling author of a cookbook you will actually enjoy reading. Her name is Lynn Parmeter Bowman, and she is here with me today to talk about her new book, Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. Lynn, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, I'm thrilled that we finally had the opportunity to get together again to talk about this specific work. I had the pleasure of meeting you in person in Santa Cruz, California, and getting this book in person. So I have to say, having that opportunity to see it myself and really page through it in person with you was just quite incredible. It's a beautiful work of art and one that I just enjoyed even leafing through in that initial conversation. So I know that took a lot of effort and I'd like to just get a feel for you, you know, really why did you decide to do this work, to bring this to the world, to focus on a book tour and talk to people like me and really get this out into the world? Because I don't have any sense, clearly. Uh, (laughs) This is not, not a thing you do to be profitable, make money. It's just not, but it came after me. I had to do it. I had a number of people saying, you need to do this. Come on, do this. Because in my small circle, my family, few friends, I was kind of famous for being able to put a meal on the table, like fast, and it was mm-hmm. good. And it was also healthy. And nobody else was doing that. <laughs> People weren't cooking anymore, let alone healthy. And because I'm a type two diabetic, and have been diagnosed as such since I was in my 40s, which was a long time ago, by the way. Um, <laughs> I've spent my whole adult life thinking about what I would be eating and what I would be serving in spite of the fact like you, like so many of us had a full time was the sole support of three kids. So working my tush off all the time, but I was not going to compromise my children's health, my health, if I could possibly help it. And I knew instinctively and intellectually that food was the way to stay healthy and exercise obviously too, but that had to be in my life. That was maybe a quick walk. There was no time for gym and fancy things. And I didn't have a treadmill. I just tried to walk or run as best I could. Mm -hmm. So decent food had to be cheap, couldn't be expensive and it had to be fast. And I had to be able to get it on the table And in my family with my little ones, we were in the habit of eating together breakfast Mm -hmm. and dinner. And I would try because it was the only social life pretty much that I could manage to have a friend over whenever possible at dinner. So my kids grew up with other people at the table as well. Mm -hmm. And as you know, having seen the book now that a big part of my message is that food isn't just food. Mm -hmm. 
food is community, it's family, it's communication, it's love, it's all kinds of things. It's ritual, it's memory. So I feel like this is a time culturally that we have kind of let that go. We have compromised our food culture for convenience. Yes, that's absolutely true. And this show is all about nutrition without compromising your morals, your ethics, your health, or that of the planet. And I think that one thing that we miss is that when we are eating on the go, when we are just picking up these packaged foods, when we are not eating whole nutritious foods, we are compromising our health. So essentially, we're borrowing from the future that we might have by consuming things that are not, they're not healthy for us. They gum up our systems. You eat a grain-based diet as opposed to something that's more whole foods-based. If you're having a lot of guar gum and some of these other fillers that are incorporated into our foods to help the mouthfeel be a little better or the shelf stability to be longer, essentially what we're doing is we're clogging our systems. Well, big food has been selling us crap Mm -hmm. since the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, but particularly baby boomers like me were born into this culture of, yay, we've got cereal. Yay, we have grocery stores with all this stuff in it. And our moms were thrilled that they could make Betty Crocker cakes and they were fast and rah, rah, rah. So we have 60, 70 years of big food making big money on our health. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are now at 85, 90% of the people in this country have chronic disease. That's right. And our health budget, the money is all going to maintain people with chronic disease, not improve them, not cure them, not really do anything, but just sort of keep them alive. Yes. Uh, And personally, a big part of what drove me, I think, was my mother dying when I was young, I was 18, and seeing what chronic disease did to a family. When a mother dies young, I lost my family. I mean, literally my house, my dog, my everything was gone. Yeah. And she couldn't help it. It was kidney disease. And dialysis was just in a very experimental stage at that point. And I don't know if it would have helped or not. But the point is that I had a very crystal clear and negative idea of what chronic disease meant. Mm-hmm. And I was determined not to have that in my life if I could help it. And so everything that talked about preventing or reversing chronic disease, like diabetes, I was on it, <laughs> like a, a bug on poop. And so I'm not an MD and I'm not a chef. I'm a grandma. You're a grandma. Um, well, you've made it this far. 76-year-old right. <laughs> who's that? now out on a book tour. You're 76, is that yeah. right? That's right. Well, you wear it well. Uh, One of the things I will say is that this book pairs really nicely with an earlier topic we covered with Dr. William Lee, who wrote Eat to Beat Disease, who is speaking of very much the same things, going back to Whole Foods, stop shopping at the center of the grocery store where everything's packaged or frozen, go to the periphery, eat more nuts and seeds and less grains and breads, consider fruits and vegetables as your primary staples, things that we all seem to intrinsically know, but we kind of shove to the wayside when we're busy and we just want something quick, fast, and dirty. It's habit. It's habit. It's all about habit. 
And I don't even shop in grocery stores. And many of the people that I know don't. I live in a place where I'm surrounded by farmers, small farmers, regenerative agriculture, and we are also near the ocean. So I've got the trees talking to me all the time, along with the grass and the cattle and everybody. They're all saying the same thing, which is, please don't go in there and buy that box of crap and think that it's food. It's not. It's something that has been engineered for craveability by some guys in a building in New Jersey, nothing against New Jersey, but (laughs) that's where they are. They're on the highway there. And you don't want anything in your body that has been engineered for craveability because what that means is more sugar, more fat, more of those ingredients that you mentioned. Sugar, fat, and salt. It's like that magic triumvirate. They get them in a particular balance And it's like, you can't put it down. You just eat one chip after the other. And before you know it, the entire bag. Yeah, that's right. And once you start eating nutrient dense food, you'll get it. (laughs) If you're not eating it now, you will get it because my brownies, for an example, you eat one or two and your body goes, okay, thanks. That's good. Yeah. Well, it's like my go-to food in this perspective is walnuts. I can never really eat more than about a handful of walnuts. Grapefruit? But they're, yeah, exactly. You eat about half of a grapefruit and that feels like enough. You don't necessarily go for the second half of it. It can be saved for the next day. Right. There's plenty of foods that are like that. It's like they have the triggers to tell you, okay, now it's time for something else. And the more we know about our microbiome, the more we understand that there are times when your body really needs to eat certain kinds of food, mm-hmm. that eating fruit in season matters. And Ayurveda has known about that forever. And a lot of other international food cultures have known about that. And we maybe poo-pooed it because it was kind of ancient knowledge. But we now have studies to support how important it is to eat fruit, for example, seasonally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because your microbiome needs that and wants that now. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. So... I think that's pretty important information. Well, and if you're eating that way, you can step away from a lot of the packaged goods. Like for instance, one of the things that really drives me nuts is the amount of packaging that goes along with berries, like these plastic packaging. Just go pick them. You go pick them. I mean, blackberries grow wild here like crazy. Yes, they do tend to be littered somewhat with also poison oak rather. You'll get scratched, but that's part of the deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's a theme that I actually saw as I paged through your book, a couple of themes, really, one of which is really less of a reliance on animal products and ingredients. And another was how simple your kitchen can actually be. Like you don't need a lot of these appliances that I think we're told we need, like this slow cooker and that air fryer and this mixer and that blender and on down the line. We don't need a Cuisinart and, 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 and in order to make healthy food. So can you talk to me a little bit about some of the unconventional approaches, I would say unconventional for now, to the recommendations that you make in your book, specific even as a, for example, to having chain mail to clean your iron skillets? And that was a gift to me. And I absolutely love it. And I wouldn't change it for anything because chain mail, if you're not familiar with it, it's just, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a piece of woven metal that is perfect for cleaning 
stuff that's been baked on and particularly perfect for your iron skillets, your iron pans, and which I also use all the time. I think they're great. I don't have a lot of great stuff. I don't have a lot of chef's stuff. I was too cheap, too poor many years to have it. And so my habits were built around simplicity. And I don't apologize for that. And it just New York Times, I enjoy the New York Times wire cutter feature. I don't know if you pay attention to that, but they recommend products in all kinds of different areas. Recently did a piece about air fryers. And the answer was surprising. It was a toaster oven is actually the best air fryer. And they gave the brand, I think it might've been a KitchenAid. I don't remember for sure. Don't quote me, but look it up. New York Times wire cutter, best air fryer turns out to be a toaster oven, which I use my toaster oven every day. It's one of the things that sits out in the kitchen and you can do a million things in a toaster oven. I also nuke food. I couldn't survive without my microwave. And I have dear friends that won't go near a microwave, that would never use a microwave. But I am married to a nerd who assures me that it's just fine. And especially (laughs) if you balance it with all the healthiness that you can get out of a microwave and throw on the table, like just by reheating and putting something together quickly, they're a great convenience. And so, yeah, I have a microwave. I love it. I have a toaster oven. I love that. And mine's old. (laughs) But when I replace it, I will now know that I need to get this one that that works like an air fryer too. I wonder if it could also be used as a dehydrator if it was on a low setting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. So yeah, you don't have to have much. You don't have to have a complicated kitchen at all. There's certain basic things that you want to keep. And I recommend a few things that you might not have in your kitchen that I have in mind and depend on. Things like truffle salt, which sound kind of fancy, but truffle salt makes so many things taste, wow, great, just with that little addition. Mm -hmm. I mean, an ordinary dish suddenly is elevated to, wow, that's really, really good. Mm -hmm. Just the addition of truffle salt, also smoky salt. And there are lots of different smoked salt, applewood smoked and hickory, different smoked salts. But that really is satisfying when you're not eating bacon and greasy things. You can put a little of that smoky salt on a dish and wow, you can have that smoky bacon-y kind of satisfaction. No calories, nothing. And salt, by the way, is something that's perfectly fine to add to food. Where we get in trouble with salt is in processed foods. Prepackaged soups, prepackaged vegetables. If you look at the amount of salt that's in them, it's Mm -hmm. like spoonfuls of salt in that packaged soup that you're getting. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're just sprinkling salt on stuff, it's not very much. Mm -hmm. That's true. And people are frequently asking me, well, what about salt? Well, I love it. And I put it on everything. (laughs) But I can see how much I'm putting on. And it is not very much. And you can't see how much you're putting on when you're eating Triscuits or something out of a bag or a box. It's got a ton of sodium in it every single time. Yeah. Dr. David Perlmutter recently wrote a book called Drop Acid, 
And in it, he talks about the fact that with the consumption of salt, the way we consume salt here in America, it actually makes us store a lot more water and that we're not drinking enough water to balance that out. And so our body is actually storing water in our fat cells because it's one of the ways that evolution has taught us to get through difficult times. And so people may actually be experiencing a lot more than traditional water weight just because they're consuming too much salt. They're out of balance. They're not consuming enough water to help to kind of level things out and enable their cells to return to their true homeostasis. And they're essentially doing what a camel does in its hump. They're storing that water on their bodies and their midsections and their thighs and their rears and everything else, which is something that impacts all of our health negatively as time goes on because it's that visceral fat, that fat around the midsection that really tends to dramatically impact our health over the long term and then result in some of these more chronic diseases that are preventable in many cases. And so I think it's just, it's one of those things that we shouldn't take for granted that we should actually get back to our kitchens to making food simply. And this leads me to a question I have that relates to both the title of the book and the content of your book. Because as you call it brownies for breakfast, you might think that it was just a baking book. And I don't want to say just a, but you're actually working in here to show people recipes for dinners and other meals and ways that they can make their kitchen simple and also how they can do something like bake without grains. And so I'd like for you to talk about some of the recipes that you put into this book, what your favorites or your go-tos might be, and how they're different from the traditional version of that same recipe. Okay. And know that these are all my favorites and my go-tos. That's the whole book. All of them. This was not a book that was photographed by a professional photographer with food stylists. They are pictures that I took with my iPhone of the actual food in my kitchen with nobody standing over it. Because I used it back in the day, it took 10 people to do a food shoot. You Mm -hmm. had the food stylist and you had the light people and all this stuff. This is done with an iPhone. (laughs) That's it. And the Apple is not sponsoring this podcast. (laughs) To be clear. But to me, that was important because I want you to use it. I want you to make this food. It's so easy and so good. One of my favorites that comes to my mind is immediately, because it's so simple, is mushroom soup. Mushrooms are amazing food. They are really, really good for you. And they're cheap. I'm not talking about the fancy mushrooms. I'm talking about the little white or the criminy or the whatever that you get you know, at Trader Joe's, wherever. They're cheap. They're super nutritious. They keep pretty well. When you need to cook them, you finally pull them out and you make this. It's mushroom soup. And all it is is onions. You can use red onions. You can use yellow onions. Slice them up, chop them, throw them in the pot with some sliced mushrooms, a bunch, however much. I don't measure stuff, by the way. I have measurements in the book, but again, I'm a grandma. So I tend to just take it out of the fridge, chop it and throw it in the pan. And then a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of vegan butter. If you want that buttery flavor, you can have it. So it's just onions, mushrooms, and then broth. And I use vegetable broth. Mm. And you cook it for an hour, and then you put it in the blender, being careful to hold the lid down, as I mentioned in the book, so it doesn't (laughs) go everywhere. And you season it with salt, pepper, whatever, truffle salt. And then you add a little bit of whiskey. Oh, wow. And I guarantee, especially 
anyone who is wooing someone with food, which is a very good way to woo someone, this is a killer recipe. I mean, people will go, wow, you yeah. made it from scratch. It's like three ingredients. And it took you an hour, but the prep time was five minutes. Yeah. 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 So I want to mention something because we talk about mushrooms and mushrooms are an incredible nutritious food, but they also have a property that many may not know about. If you leave your mushrooms out in the sun for just half an hour before you cook with them, their levels of vitamin D shoot right up. And so you can actually get more vitamin D from your mushrooms just by putting them in the sun before you will use them. So this is something I learned a while back and I'm just like, that's a game changer because if we can get more healthy vitamin D3 and get them from mushrooms, then fantastic. Why not get it from your food? Interesting. Interesting. I'm thinking as you say that I've got squirrels and lizards and snakes and stuff. (laughs) Am I safe just leaving them out? I'd have to think about where I did that. Even in the window works. So just as long as they're being hit by sun, uh, I mean. They're great to begin with. So if you can add a little... Vitamin D, you said. Super. But these recipes, it is not hard to cook great food. There's a recipe in the book called Genius Soup, which is truly genius. I say humbly, of course. And it's the thing that people know they probably should do, which is on the weekend, when you have time, make this vat of soup. It's really easy. You kind of clean out all the tired looking greens in your fridge, all the carrots, everything. I tell you, how to do this, not hard, but you have to chop some stuff. You have to chop some stuff. And then you throw it in the soup pot. I hope you have a soup pot. You need one. And then it cooks for a long time, but you don't have to stand over it. You just put it way down on simmer low and walk away and let it cook. Or if you have a slow cooker, great. And then you have this big giant bunch of soup from which you can do pasta one night. You can do tortilla soup one night. You can do bean soup one night. You can make my French as hell, I call it, cassoulet Mm. with lentils, which is amazing. And it's all with this soup base that has every vegetable in the world. in. I mean, all greens, leafy greens, which I don't care where you're reading or what kind of a diet you're on. They all come back to lots of leafy green, cruciferous vegetables, right? Leaves. That's what we need to be eating a ton of. And the challenge today in our diets is to eat leafy greens often. So I also give you ways to do that for breakfast and do it for snacks. You can do it. You just need to make a habit of thinking leafy green. You know, what can I put in this that's leafy and green and then eat it. And I think the reality too, when it comes to leafy greens, if we all think about it as salads, people will say things like, gosh, I get tired of chewing after a while. You don't have to sit there and eat a bowl of kale. That's the thing that is a misnomer. And if you do consume eggs, one of the things that I enjoy doing in my kitchen is making essentially a piperade, which is a French dish. And you're probably familiar with that, but it's like an omelet, a thicker omelet that you set first in the pan, but then transfer to the oven to let it bake. And you wilt an entire batch of spinach on top of that, mix it in. And it actually adds to the overall flavor. You can put garlic, tomatoes, whatever you want in there. You could put some meats in if you want, but you don't have to. I mean, you could really just keep it like a farm fresh egg base along with whatever vegetables that you felt like adding and spices. 
There's something else that I actually saw recently on TikTok that I thought was quite interesting. A couple of guys were trying a woman's recipe for a bacon replacement of basically cooked banana peels. So what she did was take the banana peels and like, this is something I would never have thought about eating and basically scoop out the white innards of it, just leaving the yellowy skin and then marinating that with soy sauce and some other spices like smoky spices to give it that bacony flavor and then just frying it in a pan much like you would bacon. And the guys who tasted it said it tasted delicious. It wasn't bacon, but it was something that they would actually go back to. And I think they were looking to myth bust it and then found out that they were fans. So, yeah, And I have two issues with that. Bananas are a bit problematic, especially for those of us who are diabetic. diabetic. Mm-hmm. Bananas are sugar. Yeah. Their glycemic index is really, really high. You learn yeah. that fast if you study nutrition. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the other thing is when you're frying banana skin, you're frying Mm -hmm. in oil. And I would love to see people get away from frying anything. As a culture, we fry a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And we kind of are accustomed because the convenience foods that we like are often fried or deep fried, whatever. And we like that crispy thing that happens, but Mm -hmm. this isn't a habit that you want to develop in the kitchen that is going to help you live longer and so on. Yeah. I do tend to agree with you. I mean, the amount of fat that we consume that's superfluous and unnecessary is quite high. So yeah. yeah. And you don't need it. There are too many other good things to eat. And again, if you're (laughs) like, struggling to eat banana peels. I'm not sure why that <laughs> come about. I guess you're reducing your waste, but I tend to put them in my compost. So they feed my garden. Yeah. Now and- I wonder as your title of your book, again, going back to that brownies for breakfast, what makes your brownies recipe different? There's no sugar, no oil, no flour, no grains. It's a one bowl, super simple, Everything in the book basically is designed so an eight-year-old or an 85-year-old will be comfortable doing it. My brownies are made with nut butter, pumpkin, monk fruit sweetener, egg or egg replacer, a little bit of baking soda. What am I forgetting? Cocoa. Cocoa. Of course, the chocolate. Mm-hmm. Plain old cocoa, which is such good food. Chocolate is fabulous food. And I'm a fan And you can put walnuts on top of it. I also, for the frosting, to make it gorgeous, I use Trader Joe's Simply Light Sugar-Free Dark Chocolate Bars with a little bit of soy milk or oat milk nuked. It makes the most beautiful, satiny, sugar-free frosting. So easy. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the brownies, you can tune from super gooey to more cakey, depending on how you like them, by changing the amount of pumpkin. But here you have a food then that is basically made out of nuts and pumpkin. You could eat that for breakfast. Anytime. It's Mm -hmm. fine. And as we mentioned earlier, you eat one or two of those puppies and you know you've eaten something. You're not going to stand at the sink and narf down a half a pan of those. You're going to eat one or two and that'll be just fine. And it's got a lot of fiber. It's got natural antioxidants from the chocolate. I mean, that was one of the gifts from Dr. William Lee's book, Eat to Be Disease. Chocolate activates all five of the 
centers to support your health and essentially prevent disease, which I think is amazing. Red wine also appeared on many of those, but only one glass. So not two, not three, right. not four, not the bottle for sure. Just one glass, one regular size, like four to five ounce pour, right? But ultimately, if we choose the right foods, if we satiate ourselves by feeding and nourishing our bodies, then we're not going to crave all the junk. So I think that's really the point, right? Right. And quitting sugar is a thing that people are always asking me about because it's kind of like, how in the world does anybody do that? How do you actually just really quit, give up sugar? And I always come back with, well, you know that sugar is addictive. And people kind of go, well, yeah. I mean, it's not in a metaphorical sense. It is biologically addictive. Yeah, well. It's the same reason that alcoholics often become sugar addicts after they stop drinking. Yeah, sugar is highly addictive. Mm -hmm. So if I said to you, well, it's more addictive than heroin. And if I said, well, I'm a heroin addict, but I'm going to cut back. (laughs) What would you say to me? Well, girl, you're full of it, right? Mm -hmm. You can't cut back on an addictive substance. You need to drop it like a hot rock. And it will do so many good things for your body and your budget and your table by eliminating sugar. It's so worth it. And in two or three weeks, your chemistry changes, your saliva changes, and you don't really want it anymore. People ask about cravings because once you've put yourself through rehab and beat the addiction, no, you don't crave it. And you are so much better off. Yeah. Well, you're talking about the gut brain balance here too, because what we're finding more as research goes on is like, we actually have a brain in our gut. And because our bodies are made up of more cells of our microbiome than they are even of our own human cells, essentially there's this connection, there's this conversation that happens between your microflora and your brain. And so triggers and hormones are all kind of triggered because of the foods that we're eating. And so if we stop feeding the unhealthy bugs, the candida and things like that, that actually cause us to crave more sugars, then suddenly you're able to get to this path where you say goodbye to some of the more unhealthy habits more easily. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And food just becomes so much more interesting and fragrant and beautiful and varied when you stop the focus being on meat and potatoes and pasta. Mm-hmm. And you put the focus on plants, all of a sudden you got green and purple and red and orange and yellow and different textures and different shapes. And people are always asking me about how do you get your kids to go along with this? You know, how do you get your kids to eat this stuff? Well, kids love it. Kids love to eat what they grow, mm-hmm. they love to eat what they cook. So that's how you do it you grow something and then the kids are part of what you grow and the kids are part of what you cook. And also please parents, the kids are part of setting the table and clearing up the table and doing the dishes. That's, I think maybe a more important part of their education than another language or another choir or whatever it is that you're doing, driving these little things around all the time. And they're eating bad food in the back of the car while you're driving through bad traffic, there are other things that are important. Well, and if you don't have the liberty of 
a yard where you can grow your own food, even just taking your children to the grocery store and shopping with them and giving them a task. Like one of the things I gave my older son when he was five years old, we went to a grocery store in Colorado when we were on vacation. And I just said, we're going to cook something different tonight. Choose one thing you've never eaten before. And I made him choose it from the produce aisle. And he came back to me with a Buddha's hand, which I'd never cooked with that kind of citrus before. So then we went on this journey of trying to find a recipe that specifically asked for Buddha's hand in it and then created our own kind of lemon chicken, which Big was fun. And I'm sure your son was so pleased with himself. Well, and right? it was really a, just a fun journey yeah. with him. It showed me that I needed to involve him more in the preparation of the foods that we put in front of them. So now when they come home from school, they're always hungry right away. And I just cut up a bunch of fruits and vegetables and I have it sitting out for them so they can graze while we do the cooking because they're eating something healthy, identifiable, that's colorful, that's nutritious and crispy. And now my older son doesn't like things to be steamed. He wants to eat them raw. He just likes that and, raw vegetable. And teach your kids knife skills. They <laughs> love it. And it's a way to keep them safe. If you really do teach them how to handle a knife, how to use a knife in the kitchen, you have a better chance of them not hurting themselves. Teach your kids to be at home in the kitchen. And my kids always knew that they could go roaming in the grocery store with me because in those days I had to take them with me and they could bring me things, but they had to be able to read the label to me. They had to be able to tell me what was in that food. And then, of course, it got to be great comedy trying to read all those words on the ingredients list on the package because they're like dextrose, maltro, what? So the kids became very aware very early of just what's in that food. And, of course, they also learned to read <laughs> while they were doing that and all about shopping, which yeah. matters. So well, I think that's a really good point. Now, you mentioned earlier on that you are a type 2 diabetic. Mm -hmm. Do you still have to take insulin or have you been- I've, I've never taken that? insulin. And that's what I want for you because insulin does bad things to your body. When you're taking insulin, if you don't have to, I mean, if you're type 1, you probably have to, but insulin is not where you want to go. I take a small dose of metformin once a day at night which actually I now know is kind of a designer drug. People are taking it for the longevity benefits, not because hmm. they're diabetic. Yeah, it somehow mimics fasting in your body. Oh, but um, my hemoglobin A1C has come down nine points in the last two years since I started seriously finishing this book because I really started walking my talk. And I learned some new things that I didn't know when I started the book. And so what I want everyone to understand, my physician said to me, Lynn, that just doesn't happen in people your age. It just doesn't. Hmm. Well, I'm here to tell you it does. You can do that. And you do it with food and exercise and with not eating all the time. I also do intermittent fasting. I mm -hmm. Time-restricted eating, I think is a hugely effective technique especially for people who have glucose challenges like mm. myself. So um, are you on like a 16-8? I'm just curious what intermittent fasting. 16-6 more. Mm. I eat some breakfast and some lunch. Mm -hmm. So that means six hours of the day you're consuming and the rest you're mostly on water, maybe coffee. 
Mm-hmm. I'm on coffee almost all the time. Coffee. Yeah. But I don't drink coffee in the afternoon. I drink coffee mm-hmm. in the morning only because I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't do that. But it is miraculous in its ability to amp up your energy. And we don't have time, I know, today to talk about autophagy and your microbiome in detail and these cellular effects that you get. But it's fascinating. And maybe we can do that in another show or you can do it with someone else because that's the stuff that we know now that we didn't know 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, That's right. And And even some teas can help to turn that on so that you're living in more of kind of that fasting state and your cells are activating to create more of the growth factors and things like that that are working in your favor as opposed to against your favor. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's really great. I so appreciate your time today, Lynn. Now, where would you prefer that people go to find your book? I know on Amazon is pretty much where most people go, but can they come to you directly? Do they go to a local shop? What would you recommend? If you have an independent bookseller, and I hope you do, we all want them to survive. Please ask for it and do me a favor and make a little fuss and go, wait, you don't have it? This is a fantastic book. It's so popular. It's everywhere. They will get it for you from their wholesaler, Ingram Spark. So just ask them to order it for you um, Mm -hmm. and also stock it. Tell them to stock it. It's available on Amazon. I don't sell it directly from my website, but you can get it kind of wherever books Books are are sold. sold. That's right. One of the things I love in my local area is Bookshop Santa Cruz. They do a really good job of that. And you just go to their info desk and you say, do you have this book? If they don't, they'll order it. And they typically have it to you in about a week. So that is about as quick as you'd probably get it from Amazon anyway. And then I'm supporting my local bookshop. And you know, I'm local to Santa Cruz because I don't call it Santa Cruz Bookshop. It's Bookshop Santa Cruz. (laughs) Yes. You're in with the in crowd. All right. Well, listen, I so appreciate the time that you've spent with me today. I am going to get back into my kitchen with my boys. And I have to tell you the recipe that I've chosen to do so with because I just, I love it. And that is the vinegar pumpkin spice donuts. Do you have your donut pans and you're all ready to go? And that's another thing that you mentioned in the book, get creative shaped pots and pans and things like that that you can cook with because it makes it more fun. Like I have seen even an elephant shaped pan before (laughs) you you can find almost anything shaped like a dinosaur, anything. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why they have the dino chicken nuggets now. I mean, it's like you won't eat regular shaped chicken nuggets. You have to get the dino shaped ones. I mean, some of these things get a little bit too much of a pandering to the youth perspective, but I think making it fun is important. And I love the incorporation of vinegar here because my older son is currently in experimentation mode and he loves to just like put vinegar and see what baking soda does with it or whatever. He's learned that there's a difference between an acid and a base. And when they interact, there are interesting things that happen. And so he's been experimenting even in the kitchen with these. Vinegar is magic stuff and fermentation is magic. All those things are so good to learn in the kitchen. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for your time today. Thank you for having me on. To learn more about Lynn Bowman and her work with Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them, visit lynnbowman.com. All links will be shared in show notes. I'll even include a link to Bookshop Santa Cruz for anyone local to this area. And I encourage you to lean into discovery, get back into the kitchen, 
enjoy cooking and find some unique staples that you like to use in your day-to-day. It will both be a pleasurable experience for you and your families and also offer you some new nutritious foods to eat on the daily. For full transcripts and additional insights, visit our podcast and blog pages at orlonutrition.com. If you enjoyed our discussion today, be sure to subscribe to the show so you are alerted when new episodes drop. Thank you for joining us today. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or.